Hello and welcome to episode six of the Forever Forest podcast. My name is Ryan, or Freebs, doesn't really matter. And I want to start off by saying, we want a fucking game! You There you go. Phew. Uh, okay, now I've got that out of my system. I'll follow it up with, uh, have that, you cheating sheep bastards. Burn, burn, burn. Okay. Joining me this week to discuss what feels like uh, <laughs> it feels like to see a score, uh, more than one goal, uh, get a win, and what a swindling, cheating, point deduction causing bastard Mel Morris is. Um, a man who in 1998 went missing for four days. He was discovered in Andy Johnson's garage, stroking a large Smarties Easter egg and rocking backwards and forwards, whispering, My pretty egg, my pretty egg. It's Dan White. Hi, Dan. Yeah, that's categorically untrue because I've never last four days with a uh, uneaten Easter egg in a garage. So you know that to be false. It's really not helped me the fact that when you're an adult, you can just buy things. Every Easter, I seem to gain about five stone because my mum and dad can't tell me off for eating too many eggs. Um, and then there's a woman whose name in French is Lisa Renard. It's Lisa Fox. Hello, good evening. And we won a game. Yeah, we did. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's amazing how crazy we've all gone for it as much as we were crazy for not having one. Um, so what a week it's been. I actually was putting this together and I forgot all about the Middlesbrough game um, because it seemed like it had all gone the other way. Um, so let's start with Middlesbrough at home. Um, another loss and uh, one that saw the inevitable possibly end of Chris Hewton. Uh, so Dan, we've discussed it on here for a few weeks. Hewton looked like a dead man walking way before that game with Borough, really. Do you think the club took too long to boot him out or could and should it have been done before the international break? Not that it really matters now, but just want to know what you think on that with the timing. I think the easiest thing would be to say that we should have done it earlier, um, given, you know, I, I've never seen such a united fan base behind a sacking as of last week. Um, and it had kind of drifted that way over maybe three or four weeks that we talked about it. And most of us had had a similar opinion, which is regardless of why we wanted him gone. I think most of us wanted him gone a few weeks ago. Um, that all said, you kind of don't know what's going off behind the scenes and why they waited and whether it was because they were after a specific person, all of that kind of stuff that we'll never know. Um, so I can only trust at this point that um, now they've done it, um, we're in a better place. Um, would we prefer to have been in this better place three or four weeks ago? Maybe. Yeah, no, I tend to agree with you, Dan. I think it's one of those that we, uh, it kind of leads into what's going to ask for Lisa here with it, why the reasons that might be and et cetera, et cetera. I'm just looking at Lisa quickly going this year. <laughs> There's a pizza burn. Okay. <laughs> um, we know obviously it was discussed about severance pay and stuff like that potentially or paperwork side of things, but do you think the owners actually thought he would turn that around? Or do you think it was about putting out the feelers, see if new men were interested, etc., etc.? I think it's a really hard one because obviously every game that he stayed in charge for, that severance pay was getting lower and lower. Um, but we couldn't continue to, to the, the way we were. You know, the fans, I, I, as Dan just said, I have never known the fans so united in sacking a manager. Um, and whilst I feel, I really do feel sorry for, for Chris because he's a decent guy. He's his pedigree, as, as we said on the, on the pod last week, um, everywhere else he has been, has been second to none pretty much. But all, all the fans from Brighton and Newcastle and Norwich have come out and kind of said, this is what you're going to get. Um, and it, it is exactly what we got. And sometimes you just get a manager that comes into the club um, and it doesn't fit. And sadly, that seems to have been the case. You know, we had such a camaraderie whilst the football was shit with Sabri um, most, most of the time which we we seem to forget you know we we, we played shockingly badly sometimes and, and got some really good results out of out of nowhere um, I think that this is as bad a fit for Forrest as it was when we had Steve McLaren and he did the decent thing and walked away from the job um, and that for me is the only bit of muddiness I guess in the fact that whether Hewton believed that he could turn it around um I, I honestly don't know but you know he's he's gone now so we, we move forward well, I was going to send this into the Chris Hewton special and talk about each game with him and how we felt about it but um checking uh Dan where would you put Hewton's time with Forrest in the great pantheon of awful tenures as Forest manager it's hard to judge isn't it because ultimately we've got we're able to ruin good managers. So then when a manager doesn't do well, you have no idea whether they would have done well if we hadn't ruined them. You know what I mean? And I feel like Chris Hewton falls into that category of, I'm not even sure with quote unquote good owners or, you know, good decision-making, we would have somehow run away with the league. Um, or to put it another way, we would have had to have an extremely good ownership group. So if you look at a team like Brighton, 
Um, they have a clear strategy. All the things that Forrest talked about four years ago when the new owners came in, you know, about True North and all of that, Brighton is the absolute, you know, model of doing that. Whether you agree with what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it, they set it up like that. Some of the things you've seen floating around this week about, you know, did Hewton have anything to do with signings at all? Was he even asked? All of that kind of stuff. You kind of feel sorry for him in some ways. But ultimately, what it comes down for me is before Twitter and before, you know, everything else that went on, you didn't really hear about any of this. All you saw was 90 minutes each week. And if you just judge Hewton on that, probably the worst football I've seen since Megson. And even Megson, there were some results that were reasonable every so often. So I, I just can't remember a good game in the last year and a half or year, however long it's been. No, it's, it's one of those where I, I always keep saying, I think I'm mild, apart from that intro, <clears throat> going a bit nuts. But I came to the point where your face was kind of normal. Then I started to feel like I was frowning. And then I felt like I was getting a sad face. And then when you hear 108 years worst start, you're going... I mean, I'd, I'd gone before that, but it was just kind of a case of like, no, 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 no. Um, and actually, you guys have set all of these questions up really, really well into each other without even knowing. So, Lisa, I know it can be a gamble with any appointment, but do you see any lasting legacy or positives from his time at the club? The answer no. can be no. Not, not really. Um, I think, I think in some respects, um, the the positives are the fact that Forest came out and were pretty united on Saturday, and united as a team, and united behind. Stephen Reid. So I guess if you want any positives from um, Chris Hewton's tenure, then Stephen Reid is one of them. So you're telling me that if we look at this with uh, with uh, retrospect, Forrest have hired a manager to be in charge for 46 games so that we can beat Huddersfield away with Stephen Reid. Why not? Yeah, that's pretty good. You nice. know me. I nice. try and be positive. I try and look on the bright side most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and I don't like being horrible about people you know um because at the end of the day he's a family man his family are on social media they can see how vitriolic our fan base has been towards their their husband their husband their their dad um and ultimately you know it, it, it twitter has been a very toxic place to be as has the city ground this season um so for me i feel that stephen reed 100% win rate in charge of the team um deserves a statue yeah, I mean, what, what an incredible rate. But, I think, you know, Gary Brazil's got to be up there as well with his, I think, at the time. Do you know what I will say as well, whether they be parody or not? Um, do you know what? I'm sort of mildly proud of the fact that my club now for three, whether they be caretakers or, or not, managers have been, you know, of, of ethnicity, for instance. It's a big thing in football. And when you saw that crazy stuff going on about, oh, it's because of this or that, whether it was, you know, a parody or not, I just don't think that's a thing to joke about because you make yourself look ridiculous. But, you know, it's, it is in a very small way of thing. Um, and yeah, so my next bit says, so moving on, I think it's time that we probably do. Thanks, Chris, you big old family man, you, your daddy. Um, we've won a game of football, an actual game of football where we took three points away. Um, so now we've got four. Um, I mean, we're still bottom, uh, but it's progress. And at least we won't be minus 450 points in January. Like, um, meh. <laughs> Lisa, feels good, right? It is funny. You know, but I do feel sorry for. No, I don't actually. Um, let's just. Let's... We we are coming to them. Don't worry about it. We're going to talk about them. <laughs> um, the the points. Um, yeah, four points is good. It's good. You know, we we went out. We played some decent football. Um, we had the old Lewis back. You know, you could see his mojo and how immense was Yates in midfield. By the way. I mean, I'm not one of the people who just has the, I still love that thing about critique versus agenda. Actually, before we go further into it, Dan, um, with you being back, of course, we like to uh, tickle the quiz bone and um, stroke the conundrum uh, coccyx of uh, the Forest fans, which is a horrible thought in some cases. So, Ebby, I'm thinking of you. Um, do you like to introduce what your piece is again and uh, just start us off? And it's uh, me versus Lisa today, who's obviously the queen of quizzes. Of course, of course. So it's a, the second instalment of Guess the Garibaldi. I'm going to give you four clues throughout the show. I think throughout the show anyway. Um, and you have to guess the player, the ex-Forest player that I'm talking about. All right, clue number one of Guess the Garibaldi this week. This ex-Forest player finished his playing career at Exeter City in 2011. Yeah, I mean, so if you know the answer, if you know it, if you 
know it or if you want to take the guests now we've got two guests remember through the show you can whatsapp me and i'll probably accidentally close my zoom window and and check at the same time i'm ready um, but, yeah, i'm ready we'll to see. message you but nothing's coming through here because no, if lisa gets that she's uh, she dabbles in witchcraft um yeah no I, I don't follow exeter city at that time i don't remember sending anyone to that so lisa do you think you've got a clue right now no shaking her head i'm gonna oh god i forgot i made coffee and didn't boil the water i think i'll just quickly swatch to this really quickly um so um for those for those who can't see what's happening now, Ryan's just strawpedoed a bottle of white wine. Just going for a little bit of Chardonnay made by a Hardy's. Oh no, they're actually a real company. Uh, right, okay. So thanks for that, Dan. We'll be coming to the second part of four, and hopefully we'll get a bit nearer that one. Oh, I'm just going to add as well for those who listen to Five Live on um, Sunday. Yeah, that was me ringing up Robbie Savage and telling him. Um, kind of telling him off for uh, waving his scarf around the city ground but what i didn't realize at the time when i was on the radio was that the sneaky little shit went three two like that really quietly and i didn't hear it and i really wish i had because i think i would have opened up a bit more anyway um i'll try and get him back at some point about that um so uh, dan what did you make overall of the display or what you saw of it against Huddersfield? let's go back to that game yeah, of course. Um, love the kit, by the way. I know a lot of people talk about it. I genuinely really like it. Yeah, um, so that's comment number one. Definitely, definitely a winner for me. Um, so I just wanted to make an overall comment, I think, because I'm, I'm sure um, two of you might get into some of the, like, the player specifics and some of that. But um, there's obviously a lot of commentary, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on the radio, amongst people down the pub around, you know, who, who played well, who didn't play well in each individual game. And I think we get caught up in individual player performances quite a bit. Me, me so as much. But when you look at that Huddersfield game, what you realise is you win games of football by having a team that plays well. I don't think there was a single player that you would rate at less than six out of ten, seven out of ten. And you forgive don't me, win Forgive games. me, Dan, that sounds obvious, but why is it not always obvious? Well, I think we somehow single people out and say, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to use the usual one, so I'm just going to make some up. Worrell had an awful game. Well, we don't lose a game of football unless what, you know, because one player out of 11 has an awful game, unless it's the keeper, of course, and there's some howlers. But but I think it's more about understanding that everyone has to play to a certain standard. And we don't just win a game because we go and buy a striker who is better than Graben, or we don't win a game because we suddenly buy a left back who's amazing. It's about balance. It's about the team. And the positive for me out of the weekend, apart from just winning the game, is this idea that we've probably actually got a squad that is all capable of putting those performances in. And I know we've said that for a while, but for the last year, we haven't seen not just consistency from one player week to week. We haven't seen consistency within a game where everyone gets marked seven or eight out of 10. Um, and I think what we saw at the weekend was everyone having a seven or eight out of 10 game and some, and some of them more so. But that's how you win games of football consistently week after week is by not carrying anyone, but also not relying on two or three players to get you over the line. You have to have a balanced team. And that's the first time I've seen us have a balanced team for, yeah, probably since Sabri left. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really fair point. Um, and actually, again, you keep doing it where it sort of ties in. So Lisa, we did we did obviously see quite a big change in the, in the team in terms of, if nothing else, mentality, etc., and the way the side went about their business. Um, do you think that was mainly down to the opponent or the way we set up or the shackles being off for the players? What, what would you have put it down to from what you saw? I think it was a bit of a combination of all three. Um, I think the change in formation definitely helped. I think the fact that we've brought in two um, defenders, wingbacks, who have performed excellently in the games that I've seen them play. Um, I thought on Saturday, Spence was was pretty decent to be fair um and had had for, for me he was up there as possibly man of the match um and it just the, the shackles were off it allowed lolly to to have freedom it allowed johnson to have freedom um lewis was back at spearheading the team um yatesy made quite a lot of you know important headers broke up the play um and whilst laurel didn't have his best game um, you know, Worrell and McKenna still looked steady. So, and Samba back in the net looked assured and didn't really have too much of a, a, a hard afternoon, I guess. So everybody was doing their job that they were they were there to do. Um, and I know there were fans sort of on socials that were crying out, for, why isn't Zinkenegel playing? You know, why, why, why have you made this change? Why have you made that change? Well, one, if he's injured, he can't play. Simple. Um, two... Still not Carvalho in the side. Did we need him? No. Sorry, Aaron. I have noticed that that has reduced. I think even the Carvalho people have started to go, maybe he's a bit shit. 
Yeah, I don't think he is. I just no, I don't mean shit, but I mean to, probably not. Not suited to the style of play that any of our managers are likely to play. He's you know he's a flair player, um, mm. and I don't think the championship for and the style that we have had over the last two three seasons has suited his style, unfortunately. And he had he even the season with Sabri. Um, he was in and out of, of games and he would have a really good game. And then he, he wouldn't. For me, the biggest, the bigger miss in terms of player personnel um, is Thiago Silva. Um, but, you know, if, if I had the choice of who we, we would have kept from the Portuguese that we signed, he would have been the, the one for me. Um, but in terms of Saturday, yes, it was an all-round performance, um, quite accomplished. I think once we went ahead, I don't think um, we ever really looked like not, Get, not winning the game and getting that second goal um, for me kind of cemented the points very early on in the second half, which actually made the second half quite comfortable. Yeah, let's watch Carvalho leave us and go and sign for Barcelona in five years' time. Because, you know, again, just uh, not because I'm scared of anyone really, but he isn't shit. But I just. If we, can, I, if we can sell him for 50 million, then fair play. It feels, just feels to me like, you know, with a Carvalho, and it just feels like maybe Hutton and him have been exercised at the same time as two spirits that haunt the, the desires of the. Uh, the great unwashed. Um, look it up. It's a history thing. Don't start writing to me saying and you do have a wash. You should do anyway. You dirty beggars. Right. Dan, uh, we've seen on social media. I know, I know I've had a drink, but it's only a swig of Hardy's. So other wines are available. Uh, Dan, we've seen social media posts from Joe Lolly and a few others talking about freedom. And uh, many see that as a shot fired at Hewton. Uh, where do you stand on the view that players should be giving their all every game and that it's really annoying when they turn it on when a manager is sacked? Or is it just because of we couldn't do our job properly because that nasty man was making us do X, Y, Z? That isn't as on the fence as on what I did to sound, but yeah. Um, I think it's, I, I remember listening to an episode of this this here podcast um, last season where um, Wiggum Tomhead Charm went on a, um, a a fairly decent rant about nuance, about how, you, you know, this isn't all black and white. And I think the same rings true here for me. Um, I don't think I saw any player not put in 100%. I don't think I saw any player during Hutton's time. Maybe there was an occasion where someone got subbed off and was a bit annoyed or whatever, or wrote some WhatsApp messages allegedly or whatever. But in terms of being on the pitch, I don't think I ever got annoyed that someone was not trying to contribute. Um, I got the impression that they were very much trying to do a job that they either didn't fully understand or wasn't what they were used to and and what really baffles me with all of that is that came across quite obviously and then it makes me wonder what happens on the training ground you know if you're going to play lolly in the center rather than on the wing and you're going to ask him to do a very specific job you might not like to do that but i'd hope with someone like joe lolly he would try and do it now if he's trying to do it and it's not working you've got to do something different on the training ground. If you're going to persist with it, you've got to coach differently. You've got to do something. So I, I honestly, you know, people talk about overpaid prima donnas and not trying and lost the dressing room and all of that. If anything, it's the other way for me. I'm just annoyed they didn't speak up sooner and say something because we were all thinking it. It turns out a few of them were thinking it. And I, you know, like with the Martin O'Neill situation, um, credit to the players when they were asked, you know, well, what do you think of him? And a few of them went, you know, well, we're not quite sold on some of this. And the club acted. Um, I think there's something to be said for a bit of player power. They shouldn't be running the club. But if the fans are unhappy and it's on social media and it's written in the paper and the players are all sat there thinking exactly the same, it, it, it just it baffles me slightly that I, I understand they've got their own careers to look after, but it baffles me that a few of them don't just kind of speak up the ones that you know are, are respected if Worrell thought that you know should Worrell be saying something I don't know it's um it's the politics but but a long a long way of saying a short thing which is I put the blame firmly at Hewton for playing the wrong system rather than the players not being able to deal with that and you know Stephen Reid was part of Hewton's team so it's not like they've got a brand new manager and a brand new set of staff everyone there at the club on Saturday had been there during Hewton's time the only difference was Hewton wasn't there and you saw the difference in playing. So I don't know how, you know, I don't know how you can, you know, put the majority of the blame anywhere else. Oh, very well, very well put. And thank you for referencing the uh, the old days of the podcast. You may have brought a tear to the eye. Um, I'm going to, I've just decided to uh, start a sort of new section called Freebs's Fake Forest Facts. And uh, I've got one here for you. Uh, the, the former Forest centre-back, Tony Vaughan, before he used to play for Forest, used to like nothing more than a plate of liver and onions. 
Anyway, um, Dan, how do you know that's how do you know that's fake? I was just, I just in the know. I know somebody who knows somebody. Who <laughs> just don't question it. Go with it, Dan. We're going to move on to a slightly new section in a minute, so maybe you should throw us a quiz two. Cue the music of uh, the section that I always forget the name of. Guess the Garibaldi. Guess the um, Garibaldi. There we go. There we go. All right. So the first clue, just as a reminder, this ex-Forest player finished his playing career at Exeter City in 2011. So clue number two: Forest signed him from Arsenal. He went on to play for a number of clubs after Forest, including a brief spell in Portugal. Wow, Forest signing from Arsenal. I think I should know this one. What year did you say he ended up at Exeter? 2011. I'm looking at Lisa. Lisa, do you know this? It? Okay, it's cool. I'll take a look. I'm not so worried about throwing a guess at you unless she seems to know what it is. And then I'll be like, okay. I've got two names written down, and I'm like, that's neither of them. <laughs> signing from Arsenal. So- yeah, okay. No, I'm putting that dead space in there now, which I said we shouldn't do. But this, this, I know who I think. I think it's going to have to be on clue three if it does down. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait for that one, I'm afraid. It's very good, though. Okay. I do, do like this section. Um, and it's much better than Freebs' fake forest face. Um, Lisa, coming to you now. Um, let's look to the new man. I will look out the new man. Uh, Joe, I feel really bad because in case someone hits me this down the line, there was definitely times where we played Swansea in the fact in the past where I cut off the head of um, Steve Cooper and put him on steptoe, and uh, yeah, and put like old and God knows what, and it's really not out of order. I'm no, I'm no one's, not everyone's cup of tea, and you know, just living my life. So new man, it looks like it could be Steve Cooper. Uh, I just did a face to Lisa then. Um, how do you see that as a fit? If that's to be believed and it is in fact true. So he's fairly um, new to the championship or new to management in terms of the fact that he's had a couple of seasons under his belt. Um, but both seasons he did pretty well with Swansea. Um, brought in the youth, got them playing some quite decent football at times. Um, Swansea for me have always been a team that I just go oh, don't like playing them um, pretty defensive um, but I think one of our managers used to say that you kind of set up from the back and everything else works pretty well so uh, you know if, if you've got a good defence in place um, and you've got somebody that can score goals then what can go wrong? I remember I think when we had them at home and I think he'd not long been their manager and it was after they'd had Maybe that, that foreign guy as a manager. And I remember looking at the side like, and who the fuck is that guy? Mm. And it was a bit like, eh. and they did a job on us, I think, I believe. And I've always found them a bit tough. As a t- you know, we've got the history of them anyway. But one of my good mates, Al, is a big Cardiff fan and does a lot of work with um, the youth teams. And you've uh, set up in Wales in the uh, WFA, I think it might be called. Um, and he's always just absolutely lauded it about Cooper as a coach and I think maybe that might be the new approach we're going down really um, Dan any sort of thoughts to add on that regarding Mr Stephen uh, uh, I think his second name is Jeremiah Cooper SJC as I know him yep mm. um, yeah I, I think there's um, again I keep referencing things from online that's my life over here right? that's all the interaction I get on Forest on Twitter so interact with me <laughs> interact please talk to me um, otherwise, I'm going to have to talk about American football and how the Jets keep losing. Um, I for, for Cooper, it's an interesting one. I think there's a very lazy take out there, which is always another defensive coach. Yeah, like Lisa. Yeah, not having that. Yeah, Lisa. Um, Lisa. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I think to say he's like Hutton because he might try and not concede and then score a goal and a few other bits. You know, even if that were true, I think it's still fairly lazy. There's many dimensions yeah. to manage. Why Lisa said that. No. So um, there's a few um, a few things that I'm hoping will be different. So one is the youth part. One is I've heard, and again, I've heard it just through my, my life on Twitter, that he is open to player kind of input on how we should be playing and what strengths may be. Now, how true that is and to what depth it goes mm-hmm. um, is another matter. But if you think about what I heard from uh, Forest at the weekend, I heard Stephen Reid ask that question of the squad, right? Or at least engage some of the senior players in what, how we should set up. So again, I'm not for player power taking over the club dictatorship, but a manager opening his eyes to what players might know who have all played the game, I think is a good thing. And then finally, as much as um, I think there's been some comments around, you know, a defensive style and everything else, it seems that within what he does from a formation point of view, he's willing to change tactics. He's willing to make the odd sub here and there. So maybe he's on the same 
outside of the footballing sphere as Hutton in terms of taking a certain approach. But within that, I think there's enough that's different to to make me feel that watching games might be a bit more interesting than it was and we might get better results. So kind of slowly, slowly catchy monkey in that respect. Yeah, I'll come to you, Sally. So I, I must admit, I, I think what it is, is you get instant camps, don't you? Like Kevin Keegan, for me, is the is the poster boy of the let's just go fucking crazy camp, um, which I kind of like. I used to play up front. So for me, it's attack, attack, attack. I didn't always associate Steve Cooper with defensive footballer, but, um, and Lisa, it's not ganging up on it because I know you're about to have the right to reply. Um, go on, what are you going to say? What I was actually going to say was, <laughs> when, when we got Billy Davis and I hate talking about Billy because I hate talking about Billy um, but when we first got Billy Davis in as manager I was really against it simply because of the fact that when he got Derby promoted they were winning 1-0 every single week 86 minute and was so boring and defensive football that I just thought this is not the forest way um, so for me if we are bringing in somebody like Steve Cooper who has a reputation of being a little bit defensive, but has also got that reputation that he might mix it up a bit, then why not? Because actually, you know, we got we got Billy after Derby. They got promoted. We got Steve Cooper after Swansea. They got in the playoffs. Who knows? It could so, be a so, really good fit. It's the only thing I do want after Derby at the moment. Um, I must admit as well, there was a moment there where I sort of, the way Lisa was saying that, I thought I'm kind of, glad in some ways even though the food is like you say is amazing that you've never told me off as your child because I thought mom is right I, I even then I felt like shit me and Dan just got told <laughs> I'm scared at least I'm not um Dan I'm, 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 not ang- I'm not angry I'm just disappointed that was the it was oh. that. <laughs> do you want do you want me to rip your arm off and hit you with a soggy end no no do you want a slap is one of my favorites because every kid goes yeah come on give me some slaps um Dan, you're going to love this question. Um, we all know how bad this season could end because, you know, we're pretty close at the minute in terms of where we are. Let's look at the bright side a little bit. Um, what's the best we could reasonably expect from 21-22? Oh, from 21-22? For Forest or just generally in life? Oh, no, Ipswich Town, mate. Just swerve more. <laughs> uh, yeah, Forest. Um, no, I didn't know if you meant, like, you know, complete liquidation of our friends down the road, but we'll come to that. Um 21-22, I think, yeah, it, it's easy for me to, to say, you know, what everyone else should be happy with. But honestly, the position we're in, if you look at all statistics, everything else, we're not going to get to the playoffs unless we, um, again, the Americanism, unless we catch lightning in a bottle and everything goes exactly right for us and we have all the luck in the world, plus Cooper hits the ground running, plus we have a good January. That if we If we expect to get to the playoffs this year, then everyone is going to be disappointed ninety nine times out of a hundred right so expectation wise I would like to win more than we lose for the rest of the season. I would like to see some good football and I would like to be out of a relegation battle by let's say February if possible um, or at least have enough teams below us that we're not worrying about it because let's be honest, even if we go on a run now of a few games we're still going to be in and around the bottom for the foreseeable into the next international break and, you know, towards Christmas. So um, I would be happy with the kind of a high, well, depending on how you do your numbers, a high top bottom half finish um, at the moment. Um, And I'm not sure we'll get there. So, you know, 14th, 15th, I think we've got to be happy with at this point, because that was means we've got to have form for the rest of the season as a top half team. I was thinking when you're saying that about an analogy that I've never used before. So bear with me because this might go really wrong. So it's a bit like taking off a plane, and going on a journey the longer you're running down that runway and you've not taken off you're going shit shit we're going to end up in mr fanagan's field shit and that's kind of what forests are at the minute they still haven't taken off and you want to get there safely which is to either be safe or get promoted at the end this is actually better than i thought so the sooner we can start taking off then it's all about getting clear of the houses and then it's all about the cruise or the elevation and then get into it's just where you land then but at least you've taken off you're away from the ground the worst case is probably what we're going to come to next is the bit where you go crashing through the end of the runway. This sounds so like there's in, been a major incident outside. <laughs> um, in your analogy, then, if Steve Cooper's the pilot, um, mm. is uh, who's air traffic control? Is that somewhere in Greece? Because that, that's my concern. No, I think the air traffic control really is to do with it's safe to take. Oh, we could work this all day. So the, it's surely their job is to say it's safe to take off, which obviously in a way is Mel Morris because he's gone it's safe to at least get away from that bit of the runway because I've just burnt that one with my own plane. 
So, and then they're saying your destination will be, yes, maybe it's Dane Murphy's air traffic control. Who's, who's handing out the snacks? And what do they mean? <laughs> Lewis Graben's peanut collection. Um, anyway, I've just gone out of a real, real quick one here. I've got another one of uh, Freebreeze fake forest stats. Um, Gary Crosby, famous for heading the ball out of the keeper's hand, wasn't it, back in the day? Um, always burnt his toast at home because his mother hated it. Um, so this is slowly turning into shooting stars, but it's, I'm sure if you like your, your boosh and surreal humour, stick with us. Uh, Dan, can we have another one of your clues before we go into a little bit of... Sure, so I'll do the recap again for anyone joining us late um, on this pre-recorded pod. Um, Where have you this been? This ex-forest... Yeah, exactly. Just fast-forwarded through to the quiz bit. Uh, the ex-Forest player finished his career at Exeter City in 2011. Forest signed him from Arsenal. He went on to play for a number of clubs after Forest, including a brief spell in Portugal. And the third clue, this Nottingham-Shabourne player represented England under-21s as well as the Welsh national team. Bloody hell. Thing so, is, I'm at a slight disadvantage here. Because I'm, I'm trying to keep an eye on the time, running the show, looking at the next questions, and I know that if I was able to sit and not listen to one of your answers properly, that I could do this better than I could. Go on, give it, give it one more time, mate. Go on. All right, so Exeter City, finished his career at Exeter City in 2011. We signed him from Arsenal, and he went on to play for a lot of other clubs after us, including a spell in Portugal. And he was born in Nottinghamshire and represented at England under-21s, but also the full Welsh national team. See some yeah. puzzled faces. No, Lisa, uh, just so I know whether how much to put into this, are you, apart from getting attacked by a pen in your headphones, have you got a clue? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, God's sake. Okay. I still wish uh, I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, you're going to like this a little bit, I think. You guys, I'm going to come to you first, Lisa, with this, but um, <clears throat> I've written a bit of spiel. So uh, the clue is in the title of the show, where we are the Forever Forest podcast. But then when something as huge as an administration befalls your fiercest rivals, we have to discuss it, really. So Mel Morris, the man who had the league on strings, I've put snigger at this point, uh, rolled the cheating dice and has failed and potentially screwed the sheep into the lower echelons of all leagues, if not the edge of existence. Lisa, do you feel sorry for him? I did. And then I read the statement. And then I went, what? Well, you did when the administration statement where they were going blaming COVID or you, the... the... Well, both. both. Um, I think, I mean, Saturday night we had quite, was it Saturday, Friday? We had quite a lot of fun on, on social media in our house. Um, we just kept winding people up. Um, not just me, you know, it was that old puppet on the string and that just really tickled me and wound up quite a lot of people up. Um, but, yeah, I, when I read the, the Mel Morris statement... Um, I just went, what the hell? You know, we've all been through COVID or every single one of the 92 clubs has faced exactly the same challenges there. Um, and for me, that doesn't cut it. And their, their situation just goes back to um, arrogance and believing that they will actually get away with it and falsifying accounts, um, not just once, but three, four, five times. And... Um, even when they are given extended deadlines, you are led to believe that they still can't do what they have been asked to do. Um, and I do feel sorry for people like you and me that work for the club. Don't get me wrong, because you don't want to see anyone out of a job. Um, and I also actually feel a little bit sorry for Wayne Rooney because he has been dealt some shit here, some massive, massive shit. And yet he still gets his team out there and they are still putting in results, which you cannot fault him for. That was very, very much fair play. Um, mm. In terms of Morris, the football club, and how they have believed that they are above the law, above the league, and above everybody else. Well, they soon won't be, will they? They'll soon be sitting on minus however many points. And ultimately, that's that's what they deserve. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm kind of with you. And the, the one about Doris, the tea lady, and Johnny, the kit man, you know, people whose mortgages and life depend on that club, absolutely. But I think when it comes to the fans, they can... Uh, go lick something um dan i saw a lot of posts after the announcement um, saying we should be thankful for what we have and care for what you wish for etc and almost using like derby as some moral barometer which is one of my favorite my favorite terms but just because derby are in the deep doo-doo does it mean that you should instantly take your eyes off your own owners and ceos and tiny-faced little greek men because i think in some ways 
it kind of there was I was feeling it under a, a, a sort of swell against Maranaki. I think you know, obviously we done Daniel Taylor's last uh, article in particular in the Athletic, um, which I, I always you know a big fan of how he writes and what he goes towards. Um, what do you think with that? Do you think it's kind of a? Do you think in some ways it's helped Maranakis and his and his band of men? Um, I, I honestly I don't think it's made any difference, and I don't think he gives a shit what any of us think. That's my honest opinion. <laughs> Let me put that out there. But that said, that said, I think it's taken um, it's taken a bit of the focus off that. But honestly, I think our result at the weekend and sacking Hewton has done more for that than anything else. Now, I've, I've seen a lot of other tweets flying around and opinions saying, well, isn't it funny we win a game and we sack a manager and now no one wants to protest against the board like they did last week? Um, I think that's a bit disingenuous because... To be honest, I think there's still people that would, when asked, would say, I'm not really comfortable with the people that are in charge at the moment. That said, let's be honest about what we can do about that. <laughs> and also, we're here for the entertainment. So, you know, if if it's about how my school's getting, my kids' schools are getting funded and when, whether, you know, hospital places are available, then I might I might think about protesting now and then. But um, when it's the football club and you, you want a bit of entertainment, then I'll do everything possible to avoid it and try and enjoy it. And if we're winning games and we've sacked a manager and we might get a manager who might give more entertaining football, then, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I won't say I'm comfortable with our owners, but I'm happy to follow Forrest despite them, if you like. Um, and I, I'm talking there, you know, about those that have been around for a few years now. Mm. Um, in terms of Derby's situation and, you know, be careful what you wish for. Honestly, I, I don't think it matters at all, right? I don't think anyone sitting in an office making decisions about Forrest for one minute is thinking about, you know, well, if I do that, it'll look bad and we might go into administration and the fans won't like it and anything else. It doesn't matter and as far as they're concerned. They're making decisions that they think were the correct ones to make and um, time will be the judge of that. I don't think anyone's selling up Forrest because a few people turn up with bedsheets at the city ground. That's my honest opinion of this ownership group. I'm not this image, groups are the same. I have this image of either people like, you know, dressed as ghosts when you said that. <laughs> I just thought it was like, I think that uh, might get to the club after a while, you know. Or just in their beds, literally being pushed yeah. along the street with with the Maranakis out scrawled on them. Uh, last little bit on this. Lisa, what, what, what do you actually see that could happen to Derby County? Um, I think they could be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, well, I, and what is that? Is that like, you know, a slap on the wrist or do we think they're going to get the book thrown at them? Or, I mean, no, I, I, think the, I think the EFL will try and make an example out of them. And if what you read is to be believed, they could well be suffering points deductions this season and next next season. And therefore, in two, you know, we, we, we joke about the fact that we like the the local derbies and stuff, but if that's the case, they, they, they could be playing in League Two um, and the local derby might be against Notts County or Baseford or somebody else. Well, that was a question. It's like, realistically, because, we, you know, we're not looking like we're going to be making any strides towards taking on Leicester. And, you know, I was still really struggle with Leicester as a rival. I sort of see it as a, a weird country cousin who comes and messes with your Christmas toys every now and then. Whether I have a league, I don't know what that is. I've not got one of those. I don't know what that is. Um, but, you know, it's seriously, I mean, I, from different things you've read and, you know, this ITK thing and whatnot, and you could have like maybe Dan tells us something who's from someone, you know, that, that percentage of what you know to be true dilates over time, doesn't it? I like to think that anything we discuss in the group or individually is kind of, I've never told you guys anything I might have heard, which is very rare, that I don't think is from someone very credible. And obviously I think that happens a lot, doesn't it? It's like Chinese whispers, but that percentage does have to get diluted the more it comes along. I guess time will tell. I, and I put myself in the position of going, it's a classic thing when in relationships, when your partner goes, how do you think I'd feel if it was you? You know, the other way around, how would you feel if you were in my shoes? And we always go, oh, that's such a good line. I wish I'd used it. If I was a Derby fan right now, I would be shitting bricks. Uh, I would be going, I might not have a club. I might have to go and start one. You know, so I think it's a bad, bad situation, really. And I wish them nothing but sort of the worst. <laughs> so the really horrible thing to say. Um, Dan, before we go on to the, the questions from the people who have sent ones in just for you, and I think, Dan, you know, you've got one to do with desserts. Um, what is the final part of your wonderful quiz? All right, I'll give you the final part and then I'll finally recap all of them, being as it uh, seems to be a tricky one. All right. He played 13 3 competitive games for Forest, one of which was at Wembley in a major cup final. 
So I've put these in an order that might throw you around a bit, but while you're thinking, let me, let me go back over them one more time. So this ex-Forest player finished his playing career at Exeter City in 2011. Forest signed him from Arsenal. He went on to play for a number of clubs after Forest, including a brief spell in Portugal. This Nottinghamshire-born player represented England under-21s as well as the Welsh national team. He played 13 competitive games for Forest, one of which was at Wembley in a major cup final. And if, if we're struggling, so let me know if you've got an answer. And if you're struggling, I'll give you one more really difficult clue, but just in case anyone who's listening is close. I'm trying no, to think someone who's, played in a, no, someone who's played in a cup final. So I'm trying to think the last one I went to was probably not 92, wasn't it? United. And then who played in that who could have still possibly been playing? So I'm thinking more of a goalkeeper. And then um, who did we sign from Arsenal? That was all. Because it's not Crossy, it's not Sun, it's not. Because um, I know Andy Marriott was in goal for one of them. Oh, Andy Marriott, he was Welsh, wasn't he? Didn't he play for Wales? Andy Marriott. Andy Marriott is correct. One point to Freebs. What was the um, final clue, by the way, what you're going to give? His name's Andy Marriott. <laughs> no, no, it was really, it was, it was just an obscure one that I came across and I wasn't sure how best to like position it to be factually accurate. But um, in his first season after we signed him for Forest, he went on loan for, to three different teams. Yeah, that's that's an absolute spanker, that mate. In fact, really randomly today, um, which I hardly ever do because I was trying to find a picture of of Cluffy. Um, I went on Facebook, which I hardly ever do, and there's all these pictures of me, and one of them was with me and Andy Marriott, which is really really bizarre. I didn't know we got him from Arsenal, so that's where I would have been. We did. Yeah. Fifty thousand pounds, and I'll, I'll tell you one more thing that I found interesting as I read through various articles about Andy. Um, and you know, you can look at any of this. He's on LinkedIn, and it's open profile, so it wasn't full on stalking. Um, but he actually left Exeter, went to work in West Bromwich Albion's backroom staff and then made a move out of football and was working for a brief period for a Mercedes F1 team oh, in their hell. travel, in their travel, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but in kind of a, you know, a non frontline uh, role. And uh, then he's gone on to have multiple successes in other non-football industries, now aged 50, I believe. And uh, is currently, I think he's lecturing at Manchester University or a university in Manchester as well. So a very well-rounded individual off the football pitch. I, I uh, ask you all to go and look at his Wikipedia page and follow the rabbit hole I went down and learn a bit more about what that previous players. Well, bugger me backwards. I, and I'm sure if he starts looking for who's been looking after him, he'll now be thinking that Dan is stalking him, which is, is great. Um, thank you. That was another, another great one to add to the pantheon. It's almost like, I kind of always like Dan being on, not that there's anything wrong with Lee, Joe and Ollie, but it's because I do, I do like this quiz. It's a great setup and far less tedious than the ones that I normally do. So I'm going to nip to a few questions here. I'm going to end with something kind of like special at the end. Um, and I'm just going to pick them out at random. So I'll be reading them as we go here. So I think this one hasn't really been covered fully, but maybe a little bit. So try and keep these as succinct as you can. And I'll go to Lisa first, just because I've heard Dan's voice last. Uh, this is from David Gratton, who's at Grattolini. Uh, if we use 343 against Millwall and beat them handily, how long is it acceptable before we start thinking about the words play and offs? Uh, yeah. She's not um, laughing at you there, David, by the way. I think it's no. more the fact of playoffs. Playoffs, I think, are pretty unrealistic this season. Um, I think something Why? catastrophic would have to happen to the 23 clubs above us uh, for that to actually... Yeah. For me, we were never going to be top six this season, purely because the teams that came down and the teams that were in the playoffs last season um, were too good. Uh, and we didn't challenge last year and we didn't recruit well enough in the summer to put in a significant challenge. So for me, the words play and offs is probably a year away. More fucking offs. Um, do you know what? Let's just say that the new the new players who have not seen, like Harry Duddy, Joe Soap and Joe Blathersky, to whatever the names are, let's just say that they end up being absolute world beaters and it comes in. I Last season, because of the Sabri season, last season I kept looking, I don't know if you remember... I think we discussed it on the BBC thing that I used to look at how many games we'd lost and see how many games you can lose and still get near the playoffs. We still haven't lost enough that could get you out of it. I'm just saying that. Um, Dan, you've got a question here from um, Grabs9. <laughs> and he says, what's your problem with me? I'm the bags man. No, um, he says, when are Derby catching the next train out of the championship? Um, I think the end of this season. Um, the end of the they, season, they, not before. <laughs> not like, 
what but month could they be gone some, by? I, I tell you what, there's some weird opinions out there. I get, I get that they, you know, they're going to have points deductions, but people, I think some of it wasn't even tongue in cheek. People talking about them swapping with Wickham at some point in the season or something like that. Don't don't be ridiculous. They'll they'll go down, and um, I honestly think they're going to struggle to, you know, people thinking, oh, Mel Morris has been clever again. Get them in admin, get them sold off. I think they're in big trouble. They've got to pay the major creditors quite a bit of money. Um, regardless of whether they're sold or not, they've got to come out the other side of admin and they're probably going to come out with 60 million quid debt. And I'm not sure who's going to want to take that on. Two years of not signing anyone, two years of points deductions. I think the question is, when are they getting the the uh, connection service or the bus replacement to League Two? When can they actually start a season without... I mean, for those listening, I think I will be looking more at faces here on the pub. We, we're not just talking really 21. This could be absolutely crazy amounts. Um Lisa, this is kind of tied in before, but I don't think we quite went with it. This is from um, at L Hill underscore 11, Liam Hill. Does 343, do you think, suit our squad long term? And what's your favourite ice cream flavour? 343, <laughs> um, yes, it does suit our squad. Um, but we, we have to be open to adapt. You know, we saw on Saturday that it worked um, against Huddersfield. Will 343 work against Millwall? Mm, maybe not. Um, Maybe it will. Who knows? We will We will see whoever is in charge, what they decide to do. Mm. And my favourite ice cream flavour generally is raspberry ripple. Dan, I know you were eager to answer this question. What's your favourite ice cream? Is yours because of like candy with attitude? <laughs> no, it's, um, I, I have to say I had it last night, actually. It's one of those new Ben and Jerry's that's got the core bit in the middle. I don't know oh, if you've had any of those. So the middle is like different. Yeah, okay. The middle oh, is like sauce, like fudge, and the outside has got like cookies in and stuff like that. Yeah. We'll probably get that in 20 years in the UK, whereas, you know, about, you know, there's things that we swap each other way around. They go, we're talking about tab clear today, by the way, at work. I was like, does anyone remember that? I used to love yeah. this stuff. Um, all, I've, all I've learned tonight is that Dan eats really healthily. I must admit, I'm going to go and chew on some meat in a minute. Um, that isn't a euphemism. Um, Dan, another one here from um, Callum Castel Nuevo, who is Callum Castel N. I'd do the same, to be fair, Callum. Um, how do you feel about pundits constantly attacking the players now we've won and defending Houghton? It's completely obvious, right? They're all on the same payroll from somewhere. So um, what do you expect? They all work for the networks who own the betting companies, who are friends with the agents, who have got their own agendas. So um, I think it's just comical that people don't put two and two together more often on some of those opinions. I think was Rio one of those who was saying, yes, Chris Wilder should be. Who works for. the new? Yeah, who works for, who is being written about in The Sun, who Forrest have never approached, but he's friends with people at The Sun and also hmm. has the agency that Ferdinand's deals with and is on TV and everything. So I'm a surprised by it. I'm not surprised at all. Um, but obviously, I think people have to understand that pundits aren't there to make um, rational conversation about what's actually happening. They're there to earn their money. Of course. Um, Lisa, I've got, got, got a couple more here. Um, this got one from Simon Gregory, which is at Greg 39 Again, thank you for getting these into us. After Saturday's performance, do you think Stephen Reid deserves to stay on at the club when the new manager comes in? Or do you think, from what you might know, that that is just not going to happen? It'll be a new... Let's try and get that one to bed if we know about that. I know nothing. No, what I meant is more, is it a usual that that would... And don't give me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it is a little bit or it would be a little bit unusual for him to um, stay around the club. Um, but like I said previously, it's pretty obvious that he's got the respect of the players. Um, I think in the press conference that he did last Friday, um, pre Huddersfield, he, he kind of said to expect surprises, to expect changes in formation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that kind of makes you think that regardless of the fact that he was in Hewton's um coaching team that he didn't always necessarily believe believe or agree with um the way that they played or the way that they set up or how, how whatever um so he had the freedom on saturday and actually he also had um the balls to actually change it because sometimes you know whilst you've, you've still got the same personnel the formation might might be working for you. you know? Let's be fair to Chris, though. He did he did change keeper and went to a different formation against Middlesbrough. And in the end of the day, that obviously backfired on him. But I'm just going to give him that one, even though I'm not a biggest fan of it. And I think he had to go. He did kind of, it's more like a desperation, though. It's a bit like trying to grab for air when you're sinking and accidentally drowning your child. 
that's what it felt like in a weird way. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, it it did. But by the same token, you know, we've spoken about the fact that you know were, were the players playing. You know, as for me, on like the, the Huddersfield game, um, we we were, it was a clean slate, and we were going to go out there and and put in a performance. Mm. The performance against Middlesbrough. Um, was always going to be very, very similar to the performance against Cardiff in the fact that we were playing against Warnock's team and you know what you're going to get. So as soon as they went 1-0 up, it, we were never in it. We were never going to be in it. Um, and all season long, if we've gone in front, we knew that we had a chance um, of getting something out of the game. And it, it, it's always kind of gone against us. Whereas on Saturday, as soon as we went 1-0 up, there really was going to only be one winner in that game. Um, so I I would like to see him stay, but I don't think it's normal. I think no. I think if Cooper comes in, he will want his own people. Um, and whilst that is a little bit harsh on Stephen Reid, um, I'm sure that with him talking the talk the way that he did on Friday and the performance that Forrest put in on Saturday... And the fact that he's he's been an international coach, you know, he left his job um, and came to us full time in the summer. Um, so I'm sure that it won't be very long for, for him for, before he's mm. back in football. And if, if Forrest decide that they aren't going to keep him on, um, then I wish him well, because ultimately we've not had many managers who've got 100% win rate. And let's face the fact, I mean, I'm very, very grateful for it and I'm very glad that it changed, but it was just... One game. It actually, against a very on-form side, and I thought we would absolutely get a shoe in. Um, Dan, I'm going to give you the choice of a question about Ryan Yates or a question about the new manager. Which one do you want? I'll take the Yates one, please. Okay, so I'll say thank you first to Jamie Bishop and um, who else we got here? Luke Turton. Oh, hello, Luke. Um, and your question on Yates is, is it okay? This is from, sorry, this is from Gareth Roberts. Um, and he says, is it okay to think that Yates is neither a world beater nor terrible and that there is indeed a happy medium? I'd say it's more than okay, right? I think the nuance part again, or it's not even nuance. I don't want to oversell the idea that you can have an opinion which isn't like either end of the spectrum. But that's exactly right. I think um, I put, I don't want to say it was tongue-in-cheek. I, I thought he had a great performance on Saturday, but I purposely put some stuff on Twitter, which was maybe slightly um, hyperbole, let's say, just to see what people were thinking. And people are like, oh, he's had a good game. He's not Zidane, though. I was like, well, I don't think anyone's ever... I think he thinks he is. Zidane at yeah. any point and I don't think he thinks he is either right no. he's playing for Forest and he's in the championship and um, you know I think this he's more than capable of playing a very big part for us in a team that could do well in this division and that's an opinion and I think people could maybe have an opinion um, anywhere either side of that which is well I don't think you'll be in the starting 11 or the squad if we were going for you know top spot fair enough or, you know, maybe if we were in League One, it would be one of our better players. Fine. But the idea that he shouldn't even be a professional footballer or that, you know, he's somehow Zidane or uh, anyone else, I just find baffling. And I, weirdly enough, I don't think anyone even says that either. People just go around accusing other people of saying the opposite, yeah. um, which which makes it a bit weird. But but ultimately, Ryan Yates had a great game at the weekend. I think he's a he's a good player for us. I think in the right role, he brings something that only Worrell brings and maybe McKenna, which is um, a willingness without even thinking to go and try and head a ball off someone else's foot. Yeah, um, which is not everyone does that, and you can't underestimate having a balance of players that do that in the team as well as some who are. Um, you know, and, and no offence intended with this, but some who are a bit more cultured, let's say. Um, so I think him and Garner is a good balance and hopefully the new players we've brought in as well, a competition for that as well. But I'd hate to see him cast off. That's a good point. I think Garner saw more of as well the other day. And, you know, I, I, it was lovely for you to tweet it the other day so I could retweet it and hide behind the barrage of shit that was coming if it went to you. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to end with something a little bit off the cuff here. So um, when we're recording this, it's um, 17 years since uh, Brian Clough passed away. Um Something I'll never forget, driving from Lincoln back to Skegness, my dad ringing me and saying, I think I've just heard that Brian Clough's died and uh, you better pull over. And then I sat in a uh, car park of a little tiny cafe to wait for the news to come around for the hour to see it was true and then just lost it. Now, is, for those of you who were born after it and didn't see that kind of stuff happening, and obviously there's the other generation who saw nothing but miracles under that man. Um, 
you know, we'll all have different views on it and where he is. And some, he's a mythical beast. So some of them, he was our Brian and whatever he was. And uh, for me, growing up as him being my club manager and Bobby Robson being my England manager at the time, I think I was quite spoiled to have two not only very decent and original men, but also two people who I think could warm to as like your granddad or something. Um, I've gone on about this before, but obviously my first ever Forest game away at Hillsborough, got to meet him. He took us into the dressing room, made me meet the players, kissed my granddad on his head, uh, told my dad to get his hair cut, sat me on his knee and told me to be good. And um, I miss my granddad daily and uh, I, I miss him too because he feels like he is my granddad in a weird way. He was very similar and it was a clash of two minds. And um, yeah, I was going to say to you too as well, sort of like memories of him. And it's just very hard to do because I, I just feel every time I see a clip of him and whatever I do, it just reminds me of a time that's gone, a forest that's was never ever really going to come back but ultimately to the cosmos and everything else well so I, I love you brian always will and uh, to these two guys to see what their memory of it was for me i mean i, I can remember hearing the news um i was in Meadowhall, and um we were looking at buying a video camera or a camcorder as it was at the time um and i can i can i mean charlie was a baby um and yeah it was really sh shocking you know that actually he was someone exactly as you just said, like your granddad, that you just think is going to be around forever. Um, and he was just, he's never, ever going to be beaten, is he? You know, he is in the top one. He always, always will be. And how my voice is going now. Um, how proud am I that I was able to watch at the same time as you were, that, you, you know, we, we saw such incredible football. And uh, it was ours. He was ours. And, and he was never going to be anybody else's. Um, and the only, the only, um, disappointment for me is that he he never was given the opportunity with England because he would have been a great great national manager um, but how yeah he was ours and 20th of September every year there will always be a memory of Brian and I, I couldn't I the game that we we played after um, after his his passing yeah. and and we it, we beat West Ham 2-1 um, and I think Marlon King scored one of the the two goals then. right right at the end yeah He'd stood literally on the halfway line with his hands on his hips for most of the game, doing absolutely naff all, um, and then came up with a pillar of a goal to, to get us the points. And, um, you know, my memory's a bit crap sometimes these days, but that one... No. You won't forget. Yeah, do you know what? It's funny, the, the moment of standing next to my dad at the city ground for that day, and I remember for some reason a bus cut me out, and when they played my way, and it was echoing around the city ground with his trophies stood there and his players, I don't think I've ever lost my shit quite so much in my life in terms of the emotion of the words of what is a man, what has he got and all the things. It, it hurt so much. And then when he scored that winner, Marlon, who's kind of a horrible player to have had that moment. Um, yeah, that that was true sport, emotion and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Dan, over to you. You're going to say, actually, yes, I hated him. <laughs> Third, third favourite Forest manager of all time. No, um, I think so. I'm of I've of an age um, where I went to games in you know late 80s, early 90s. I remember the 90s ones more so. So you know the couple of Wembley trips um, and the first, but I never really. I was at a young age where you didn't really. I didn't really hold the manager in esteem, if you know what I mean. I was there for the football and the other stuff didn't really matter too much. Um, so my first kind of real thing of like, oh, that this is a big deal was after we got relegated um, from the Premier League in his last season and I was sat in the lower exec as it was then near to the old Trent end um, before it was knocked down and it was his last game and he came out afterwards even though we'd been relegated and I remember my dad saying to me my dad wasn't a huge football fan he kind of went because I was a kid and he wanted to take me and he got into it slowly um, but he was like no this is you'll remember this this is a big thing like before phones and everything else he was like you, you'll remember this day and that's one of my earliest football memories just the reaction and I think for those who haven't like uh, you know experienced games of Forest that he was in charge of in those times in a way it doesn't even really matter because it's not just the football that he influenced at the time if you look at anyone around the club now ex-players who still influence you know who you still hear about Mark Crossley Nigel Jempson Roy Keane on Sky this guy had an impact that went far and wide and it transcended football and it also kind of transcended the area in the sense that he is he is Nottingham, right? It's not just Nottingham Forest. He is what you associate with the club. Robin Hood, Brian Clough, two statues. That's your lot. One is from hundreds of years ago and one is a bit more recent. But anywhere I go in the world, those two names are quoted, which is pretty special when you think about it. So um, for me, I, it's not just the football. It's just he's put the 
uh, I think, as uh, Matt of Forza Garibaldi said in, in the Copper 90 thing, put, he put Nottingham on the map, right? And that's our hometown and that's what we're proud of. So I think it goes beyond the 90 minutes and it goes to everything that we do in Nottingham is influenced some way now by, by his presence in the city. Two really great point again from you there, Dan. But it's, it's two points to add to that. First of all, I was at Wembley for England versus Andorra a couple of weeks ago. I was in the queue for a drink, and these what I thought were just drunk people behind me were going, Who do you support, mate? I was wearing an England shirt. And I went, Oh, Forrest. And they went, Brian Clough, what a man. That's the first thing they said. And, I, and, I, and they were Geordies. And I went, Yeah. And they went, And from a good part of the world, too. And, all that. and that just, you know, that's true. It happens all the time. I get it everywhere I go with Forrest. Second one is that day, my mum doesn't really listen to this podcast, but she will, she, and she knows what's coming when you said something earlier on. We were at that game, Sheffield United, and my cat died actually when we got home that day. Um, someone had run it over next door. And we were in the Trent end. So I was probably not a million miles from you. I was on the executive stand side of the Trent end. And obviously we'd gone down and we were going the train back to Skegness. And my mum's going, we've got to get the train. I went, no, he'll come out. We've got to get the train. He'll come out. We went watched match of the day that night to this day she'll go well what well, at least i took you at least what i did that. And she's true i am so grateful that i got to do stuff you know skeg was still that distance away which seemed even further back in those days but i must admit a little tiny part of me every time and when you're telling that story going my dad's going you don't want to miss this i know my mum will be going don't say that to him don't fucking start him off but i was there and i saw it and do you know what i sat on his knee and that man there spent time with all of us and um yeah, from me, all the people of Nottingham, all the people who to do with that Nottingham Forest, you know, football club, and all the the you, you allowed us to dream things that in some ways might have poisoned us to this day, uh, and overstretch and whatever you do. But um, as always on this day, thank you very much, Brian, and um, yeah, thank you from the you two for joining us and uh, forever, you Reds. Hey!